Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. As soon as you are thinking that kids may be a possibility for you, get on a prenatal, you know, through pregnancy, and then definitely, definitely postpartum, regardless of whether or not you're breastfeeding, actually, in my opinion, because postpartum recovery is so nutrient intensive, the support of a supplemental prenatal can be really valuable. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Hey, hey, hey. This week, I have some good news and some bad news. But to tee that up, I want to tell you about a recurrent theme I saw this week in my nutrition practice. And that was people kind of beating themselves up for not being where they think that they should be or not getting all the things done that they think they should be doing. And they were shooting all over themselves. And so actually, the bad news is that last week, I announced that the Women's Health Minute Alexa Flash Briefing was live. And this week, after some consideration, I've decided to put it on pause temporarily because I was also shooting all over myself. I <laughs> I thought I should have had that published a long time ago and that in general, it would go along really well with all the women's health podcasts over the next couple of months. But guess what? Sometimes it's just too much. And sometimes we are just especially, actually just everyone, we always think we can do way more than we do. Have you ever made yourself a to-do list and then you get through like one fifth of that to-do list. Not if that's you. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I have done that too. And it takes a long time to kind of balance our, what can we realistically accomplish? Anyway, the point is, is that it's not essential for me to get that out to you at the moment. There's a lot of other really cool stuff going on. And I want to make sure that I'm not letting balls drop in other places. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that this is the hundredth episode of the Less Stress Life podcast. Thank you so much for being here. We have been live since 2017, and I don't have anything huge for the 100th episode, although it's a great episode. Although the next couple of weeks, there's going to be some giveaways. Next week, we're going over omega-3s, and we have some omega-3 testing to give away. So if you want to stick around for that, that's awesome. But 
I would just feel so honored. We're really close to 100 reviews on the podcast. We're at 96 as of this recording. And I would just be honored if we could get to 100 reviews for 100 episodes. So if you would join me in that request, you can scroll down. You kind of have to go back and search for the podcast name. And then usually you can find the reviews. You have to scroll down to the bottom typically to do that. So that's that. And the other thing is, please just share the podcast because this is kind of my just favorite thing to do during the week is to share knowledge with you. So I love to hear from you. You can always drop me a note or ask a question, which I would love to address in either in an episode or in another way over at lessstressedlife.com. There's a little speak pipe widget in the corner. You can click on that and leave a message. That's it. I just appreciate you guys so much. I appreciate you sharing and leaving a review and just being here. You are awesome. Now on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stress Life, we have a return guest, Ayla Barmer. She is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, a functional medicine practitioner, and is the owner of Boston Functional Nutrition, an integrative and functional nutrition practice. Her specialty is women's health and a special emphasis on hormone balance, infertility, and digestive wellness. She is really well known for this area in Boston and beyond. She has advanced training in integrative and functional medicine, women's health and herbalism and other holistic therapies. She's the co-founder of the Women's Health Nutrition Academy, which is a virtual academy that delivers cutting edge, continuing ed for women's health professionals. So like dietitians and MDs and PAs, etc. So she's also uh, the creator and founder of a prenatal multivitamin supplement, which we'll be talking about later. But she's here to school us on the good, the bad, the all the things prenatal, because it's a pretty wild west world out there. And she's going to tell us what's really needed, what's important, what the right forms are. We're excited to have her educate us. Welcome, Ayla. Thanks for having me back, Krista. Yeah, so we'll just jump right into it. I should have known I'm going to find the past episode for them and I'll Mm -hmm. prompt the audience here in a little bit. But let's get into prenatals. So prenatals are often used by people not only during pregnancy, but also postpartum while breastfeeding or while recovering. And then sometimes people are just taking them because of the benefits of hair, skin and nails. So let's talk about what is in a prenatal. Why do people take them in so many, like as a multivitamin, essentially? Yeah. So you mentioned it being kind of the wild, wild west, and it really is when it comes to supplements in general. But prenatal multivitamins, uh, many might not realize that there isn't a specific regulation or specific nutrients that have to be in a prenatal multivitamin for it to be called that. So there's nothing out there that says you can't, you know, manufacturers can't call their product a a prenatal multivitamin. There's other specific labeling requirements. And actually, as a just kind of sidebar note, there's some specific changes that the FDA has made for labeling come 2020 that manufacturers have to be compliant with. And so people will see some changes on labels in general. But prenatal multivitamins, generally, you see things like folic acid, folate, highlighted, many contain iron, mine doesn't. And we can talk about why that is and why I think that's important at some point, you know, so you'll see that you'll see calcium highlighted typically. So it really depends. It runs the gamut. But there's, I would say a lot of women like to take prenatal multivitamins because they do notice, you know, a pretty significant difference. As you mentioned, like in their hair, skin and nails, they tend to be more potent, you know, oftentimes, not not always, which I definitely want to talk about. And then regular multivitamins, or they should be, as nutrient needs are higher in pregnancy. Yeah. And really, really important for women to be taking it 
preconception prior to pregnancy. And I would say, I mean, that starts as soon as you are thinking that kids may be a possibility for you, get on a prenatal, you know, through pregnancy, and then definitely, definitely postpartum, regardless of whether or not you're breastfeeding, actually, in my opinion, because postpartum recovery is so nutrient intensive the support of a supplemental prenatal can be really valuable. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into some of the depth of some of the nutrients that you just mentioned, folic acid, iron, calcium. But first, Mm -hmm. why does a prenatal boost hair, skin and nails aside from like a multivitamin? Is it higher in XYZ nutrients that do that? Yeah, I mean, really across the board, I mean, you're going to see things that help with like the synthesis of, you know, hair, skin and nails, you know, collagen production, like vitamin C, you know, iron is typically included. Um, Again, mine does not have that. Sometimes that helps, sometimes that hurts. Your B vitamins are absolutely helpful for those things for the hair, skin and nails. So for all those reasons, you're going to see improvements in those areas. I mean, clearly, there was definitely, you know, I know a lot of the women that I work with that start on a good quality prenatal in my practice will, you know, say they've got more energy too. They may sleep better. We know that a lot of the B vitamins that are often found in most multivitamins and prenatals will help with regulation of a lot of bodily processes, right? Like they're just needed physiologically for so many things in the body. And it's very easy to become depleted in those as well as magnesium, which you should see in a prenatal too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you talked about as soon as you're thinking about becoming pregnant. So I think that's a good lead into folic acid or folate. First of all, Mm. let's talk about why that is so necessary in prenatals and why it was fortified in our food industry, what it's preventing and why it needs to be much earlier than when you're actually conceiving. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And um, what goes hand in hand with folate discussion is also B12 and choline. So but with folate, what we're seeing is there's really just to kind of give an overview here, there are the active forms of folate and also B12. And then there's the inactive synthetic form. So I think that's important for listeners to know, and they may have heard that before. So active forms versus synthetic forms. So when practitioners say that that what they mean is, does your body have to convert it to be usable or not? If it's synthetic, it needs conversion. If it's active, it generally doesn't and minimal requirements on your body's part to utilize it. So active forms of folate and B12 are going to be highly bioavailable or like really usable by our body when we take them. Again, synthetic are going to require conversion. And that conversion really depends on genetics, your lifestyle, including stress, whether or not, you know, you're deficient in other nutrients and a lot of other things too. So it's really wise to look for the active forms of vitamin B12 and folate versus the synthetic. Active forms of B12, and I'm talking about these two together. Together, folate and B12, as you know, because they are kind of partners in a lot of ways and really important. And we can talk about why they're important. But getting back to the forms, active forms of B12 include methylcobalamin, adenosylcobalamin, hydroxycobalamin. Those are like the three kind of good quality ones there. Synthetic would be just cobalamin. The active forms of folate, which by the way, folate is what we find naturally 
in food, right? Folic acid, whenever you see folic acid, that is the synthetic form. So folic acid is not found naturally in food. That's synthetic. That's only supplemental. Mm -hmm. Active forms are methyl tetrahydrofolate. That's a mouthful. Sometimes it's just called methylfolate. Folinic acid is another reduced, slightly more active form. And again, the synthetic is folic acid. But what's really important about taking folate, B12, and I'm going to also lump in choline here, which we should talk about more specifically, preconception is it's the very early weeks of embryo development, like before you even can get a positive pregnancy test. And when you just perhaps could get a positive pregnancy test so those very early weeks that you're needing those nutrients specifically, it has to do with methylation, a process in the body, which I bet you've done some podcasts touched on this in other episodes before It has to do with methylation, which goes into overdrive as an embryo is developing. We need those nutrients and high and plentiful amounts. And so it's so important to work to build up your stores prior to pregnancy and have that those extra nutrients available in those early weeks. One of the major things, and this is a huge development for nutrition-wise and preventing neurotube defects, you know, in babies, introducing folic acid into the food supply. Definitely happened a while ago. They started fortifying the food supply and we saw a huge reduction in neural tube defects. So folate is pretty critical for that. Let's talk more about neural tube defects, if I can interrupt you. Like, what does that mean? Because I think we're used to thinking of it as spina bifida, but it's actually much more than that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, neural tube defects can have a huge effect on a pregnancy and obviously the health of the baby. I mean, it affects the, the brain, the spine, the spinal cord. We do think of it as like affecting the spine and the spinal cord, but there's brain implications as well. I mean, it can affect whether or not the pregnancy will be taken to term, you know, or be viable. And it's quite preventable with proper folate, you know, uh, taken supplementally. But again, the neural tube actually closes around week five you know, a pregnancy. So that's super early. So that's why taking full weight preconception is so important. And, you know, and I really wouldn't rely on what we've done to the food supply, right, to get to meet Mm -hmm. those needs, because what we've done is fortified, you know, more processed grain products with synthetic folic acid. And we know now that while that helps and has helped reduce the rate of neural tube defects, there's a large percentage of the population that has difficulty from a genetic level and for a host of other reasons, converting that synthetic folic acid. So it's wise to take active folate prior to pregnancy and early on. So do neural tube defects also affect predisposition to autoimmune conditions? That's a good question. I have not gotten into that research. Have you seen anything to that effect? I thought I had, but I'm going to go back a step more because I know you're in this all the time. So I'm going to like give a widespread view really quick. Mm-hmm. So We're talking about in the prenatal, it's really important to have active forms of folate B12. The synthetic forms that you usually see, you might be aware of because if you've ever known anyone that had a B12 shot, that's just cobalamin. And some people actually genetically cannot convert that into an active form of B12 either. And those people won't feel a difference from a B12 shot. Now, other people, it's life changing. And probably Ayla sees this a lot too. I see a lot of B12 issues with people because it has to do with digestive processes, which become Mm. impaired in a lot of people. So I see a lot of low B12, which is related to energy. So she talked about how methyl adenosyl and hydroxycobalamin are the active forms that your body doesn't have to convert into, doesn't have to do a bunch of work to do, right? And so that's kind of our thought process is that we don't want our body to do a bunch of work. And especially this is useful in folic acid to folate conversion. So I understand that we use synthetic nutrients because they're cheap and easy to manufacture in a lab. But I mean, 
it's almost like we just invented it. We would just invented folic acid, right? Because it's a synthetic, whereas folate mm-hmm. is what's found in nature and folate is what you need. Well, what Ayla was alluding to earlier is some people have, she didn't use this word, but a lot of people are familiar with this word, MTHFR. We're not going to go into a long spiel about that. Some people think it's like this disaster, but it affects a large percentage of the population. And that simply means that those people don't efficiently convert folic acid to folate. So you have to consume a lot more. So you're just not getting good conversion. So you might not be getting adequate nutrients. Is that a pretty acceptable thing to say there? Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. I would just add that I think because of the buzz around MTHFR and some of the misinformation on it, and Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would encourage people to really Google it at this Mm -hmm. point because it is like a rabbit hole on the internet now. It's actually very complex and there's a lot more that goes into methylation than just MTHFR as you alluded to. But one thing that I do want to point out is that what I think has happened is people are being diagnosed or told, you know, that they have MTHFR mutation, not being told to what degree, right? Mm -hmm. And just told to go take methylfolate or methylcobalamin. And I disagree. Yeah, I disagree with that approach. And I and I think we're on the same page with this because what can happen, and those listening might have experienced this um, and wondered why, is you can get a lot of symptoms by just loading up on the methyl groups, so to speak, mm-hmm. those methyl forms. The main symptom that I see in practice is a lot of anxiety and just not tolerating that supplement well. So, I mean, in my prenatal, I do a combination of active forms and don't overload the methyl groups so that you know, with tolerance in mind. Mm -hmm. And actually, I want to mention a couple other things, because I think this is a little confusing. While folic acid is what we see in cereal, and probably the reason my first child didn't have neural tube defects, because I was quite young, and I'm pretty (laughs) sure I lived on cereal (laughs) for a little while in the beginning stages of that pregnancy. Um, (laughs) Folic acid is the synthetic form, but folinic acid is an active form. And I think that's a little confusing because they look really similar. Now, last week, you mentioned to me that that is what the FDA, there's some like label changes coming with folinic acid. So now might be a good time to mention that. Yeah, I don't know how much is out there yet. But I'm kind of obviously as now I can't believe I'm a supplement manufacturer. That's not something I ever thought I was going to get into. Maybe we can talk about that too. Mm-hmm. But I am now and in behind the scenes, folinic acid is it's becoming more and more difficult to get our hands on. It probably has to do with FDA regulation of it. Not that it's unsafe. It's more that I believe that it might be treated. It might become more of like a prescription type of thing. So there might be like some drug industry influence here trying to grab that because they see the demand. So that's what I think is probably happening. But folinic so acid... see it on supplements as much, right? Is yeah. Well, it's going to become very difficult for supplement manufacturers probably to, to procure and to include. And that's okay. There's other things to consider. My prenatal does have folinic acid in it now. Um, it's also listed as calcium folinate. So you'll see it listed that way. That's the same thing as folinic acid. That does get confusing. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So I want to mention one other thing, because as you actually said, this is a problem we sometimes see in our industry is that people are getting this MTHFR diagnosis, whatever, and then they're told to go on these super doses. And I just wanted to mention that sometimes I even see this in supplements, these super doses of folate. And I mean, as far as I'm aware, and people I really trust as experts are aware and other research I've looked at, there's really never a need to go above like 4,800 micrograms of folate. And sometimes you see way higher than that. Do we want to comment on that briefly? So, you know, in pregnancy, I think around the 800 microgram mark is appropriate. 
for folate mm-hmm. uh, and for methylfolate. And um, so that's something that I would recommend somewhere around there. But, you know, a lot of this needs to just be put into context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is why I love a really well-designed multivitamin and making sure that you're on one because it's in context with other complementary nutrients. You know, no nutrient is metabolized by the body like in isolation. Like mm-hmm. there, you see, you look at these processes of how our body uses nutrients and it actually requires other nutrients, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to do it. And so context is, is really important and the ratio and relationship of nutrients to each other is important. Thank you for saying that. I am on team uh, high quality multivitamin as well, not necessarily one cap a day, which we'll get to because <laughs> it's pretty impossible to actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, someone asked me that the other day. She's like, well, why is this one so many caps? I'm like, ah, because go look at the compare it to the old bottle you had <laughs> and look at the dose differences. But I was at this recent conference and I was in the food line with someone who was talking about dosing individual nutrients and how they gotten away from multis. And I thought I was like, oh, I got to step away because mm-hmm. like, there are too many symbiotic relationships or complementary relationships with nutrients mm-hmm. that I, I mean, if you're not monitoring someone, then you can throw something out of range. Absolutely. And one more thing here. So it's important to do these nutrients in advance. So we're going to get folate in our diet from darkly leafy green vegetables. And B12 comes from animal products and being able to digest those and assimilate those. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I would say, you know, folate too. You're also going to see that like in something like liver. And yeah, again, B12. Just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So liver is a fantastic multivitamin. Nature's multivitamin. Although I never want to portray my own beliefs about something. And I I need to just get into liver a little bit more. I mean, people have ideas about how they grind it up and then hide it in different like hamburgers Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I think that's wonderful. Because all I remember as a child was my mom sent me out to the freezer to get some beef to thaw for supper. And I accidentally picked up liver because maybe I couldn't read at that time. I don't remember. And she was like, well, this is what I thought. This is what we're eating. And I just remember it not being very good. So (laughs) I love how those are like our flashback memories of it. Oh, yeah. But I I think actually a lot of people have have bad childhood same. memories of liver. And that sort of clout, you know, that sort of uh, colors our ability to eat it now, you know, but there are di- we could, uh, Lily Nichols has got some great strategies for eating liver and she's got her book and insight for that. Yeah. yeah. I had a client one time who said, I love liver. And I was like, oh, well, you are golden. You are perfect. Just go eat all the liver. No. Uh, <laughs> let's go talk about choline. Great segue into yeah. choline, which is also found in the liver. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about choline and how why people don't really even know what it is, because it's kind of the nucleot on the block that was always there, but it's kind of not really classified as a vitamin or a mineral, but it's in the B vitamin classification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell us about yeah, it. I don't know why choline doesn't get the attention that it should. I think it's starting to, but it's really profound the number of pregnant women who do not consume as much as they need to, and yet the impact that it has on babies. So it's about 90 to 95% of pregnant women who aren't consuming as much choline as they should. And that level is actually defined at around the 450 milligram a day mark, which is we're finding by new research that it's our needs are actually much higher during pregnancy. They might be more like 930 milligrams. So it's safe to say that almost all women are not actually consuming enough. 
choline during pregnancy. And that's a problem. Choline's critical. Um, it's required for baby's brain development. It's required for the health and the function of the placenta, which is that really amazing organ that women actually develop. They develop a new organ, you know, just for pregnancy. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But the placenta nourishes baby throughout a pregnancy and it's needed for the function of that. It also helps to prevent neural tube defects. If you have an MTHFR mutation, back to that, you know, it's especially important. So if we talk about food sources, you mentioned liver. Not a lot of people are consuming a whole lot of liver. I think there's around 113, 115, somewhere around there, milligrams of choline per ounce. There's 115 milligrams of choline per egg, typically, an egg with a yolk. So you can kind of see it's really hard to get without some supplement up to your choline needs daily, like that 930 milligrams. Choline is actually, I should mention too, it's interesting because our body can synthesize it, but it can't synthesize enough of it during pregnancy. So that's key to remember too. And the last thing to know, I think really about choline, one of the most important things is that, and this is something that I learned in the process of making a prenatal supplement is choline is big. It's like a really big nutrient. And so it is super hard to fit it into capsules. And what winds up happening is manufacturers just don't include it because it does wind up driving up the number of capsules you have to take. Mm -hmm. So I mean, if your prenatal is a one a day, I mean, that's a huge red flag to me. (laughs) There's no way that it's got enough of some of these bigger nutrients that are exceptionally critical. Like there's others that we could do, we could do without, um, Mm -hmm. but they're missing, it would be missing that. About choline, you were basically saying that it's thought that we may need up to over 900 milligrams per day. And you're getting in the hundred something mark when you're getting one egg. Or I didn't catch mm-hmm. how much it was like 150 with uh, how much liver? So it's around 115 milligrams per egg with egg yolk. And it's similar to that in about an ounce of liver. So, you know, it doesn't take a lot of liver. If you're getting a few ounces of that a week, that could really help supplement. But it's still not going to get you. I think it's really hard just with diet alone during pregnancy to get in enough choline. Um, that's one that really, really you do need some additional supplementation with. To, and because of how critical it is to get in, right? Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's been through a pregnancy before, right? Like there's periods of that of pregnancy, you know, first trimester where you're not, I mean, eggs, you might have an aversion to eggs or you're just not maybe consuming the most balanced diet, right? So this is where supplements can help too. Sure. I remember craving the crap out of eggs in my first pregnancy. Like it was an asparagus omelet daily thing. But um, (laughs) not that I just throw this in for comedy. It's not really that funny. Anyway, uh, with choline, I like it for a lot of other reasons. And we're not talking about those reasons. But I think as a mom, these can be important to you. Like it's nice to hear about, okay, baby's brain development. Of course, I want my baby's brain to develop well. But I think about it for like skin and brain Mm. and liver development. And I mean, I look at it as an allergy standpoint because choline helps clear histamines and allergy type neurotransmitters. And then also it's huge for skin integrity. So for example, like I don't make choline very efficiently genetically. And there's times where I think it is affecting like dryness of skin, whatever. And so it's something I kind of like use. It's pretty awesome. And I had someone message me the other day about 
MS, the multiple sclerosis and the importance of choline. And actually, my mom called me the other day and she's like the person who just reads things and supplements. <laughs> and so uh, she was talking about my dad having trouble swallowing. She's like, I think it's choline. I was like, sure, mom. Okay. So anyway, it was kind of funny um, because we got into a choline discussion. And so on that topic, a lot of times people talk about phosphatidylcholine or choline by tartrate. What do you use in your supplement? Yeah. So in mine, I use choline by tartrate. It's highly absorbable and easy to utilize. Um, some of that has to do with, again, just uh, trying to... It's a great quality choline. Mm-hmm. And it's also something that can reasonably fit into a prenatal. Uh, phosphatidylcholine, very difficult to get the level of choline that you need up and mm-hmm. to fit it. So that's Big. kind of uh, the issue there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so do we cover, do we think all the barriers that women have to getting these nutrients needed in a prenatal? We talked about the size of them, and we can talk more about that here. And some, like we talked about liver and eggs being a primary sources of choline. There are some vegetable sources, I believe, as well, I think. Um, that's like what I've seen, but they're much smaller doses, right? Yeah, it's such small doses. I mean, you'll see it in peanuts, peanut butter, and, you know, in some different vegetables, but they're kind of negligible amounts. I mean, it would be hard to, on a daily basis, piece enough together to get up to that level. But I do recommend for all pregnant women, all women trying to conceive, you know, that you do try to get in a couple of eggs at least a day. You are trying to get in as many of those choline-rich sources as you can. Mm-hmm. How about vitamin D? I have that on my list as when you talk about the amount of vitamin D important in pregnancy, that's also, I think, is that one also kind of big sometimes or not really? So it's actually not, but it's for some reason, evidence-based amounts of it are not being included, you know, in a lot of prenatals. So it's all over the map in terms of what you see for vitamin D levels in prenatals. And I can't really understand why, because we actually, unlike a lot of nutrients, we actually have a double-blind, randomized clinical control trial on vitamin D in pregnancy. I mean, that's like gold standard, you know, (laughs) we, you know, on what we should be supplementing with. And actually, that study showed that 4,000 IUs a day, which I know is going to sound like a lot to some people listening for pregnant women was safe, but also the most effective in achieving sufficiency in women um, and their babies, regardless of race. And even it was even looking at um, there's research even looking at that level, even in sunnier climates. So it kind of doesn't matter where you are geographically, your race, that 4000 IUs a day is shown to be safe and actually really, really the level where it helps keep both you and baby's levels sufficient. Some people need more than that. And the reason why you really want vitamin D levels to be sufficient in baby, especially when baby's born, is that babies born with low stores of vitamin D can actually have problems with bone growth and and a lot of other issues too. They recommend, a lot of pediatricians are recommending supplementing babies separately with vitamin D, which is a whole nother kind of topic. But, you know, getting baby off to a good start with adequate vitamin D levels not to mention all the ways in which vitamin D contributes to fetal development during pregnancy. That's going to help a lot. So I'm a big proponent of getting in around the 4,000 IU mark through pregnancy. Okay. We were talking earlier about baby's brain development. And when we think of that, we often think of DHA or one of the like kind of the animal essentially based omega-3s. Talk to us about DHA and the pros and cons of including it in a prenatal. Yeah, so DHA gets really highlighted as important, and it is specifically important. It's one of the essential fatty acids, but EPA is another essential fatty acid. ALA is another. Um, you know, so these are things that we also need. And 
You know, DHA is something that I really believe should be consumed in context. So what happens is when you take a supplement with just DHA in it, I mean, you don't find just DHA in food. It's always going to be combined with other essential fatty acids like EPA. So if we think about food sources, the most potent one that comes to mind is, you know, fish, fish oil. And so you're going to see DHA be in there with EPA and they're kind of they're in balance with each other. That is how our body really likes to kind of consume essential fatty acids. So DHA is important, but I'm not a fan of just isolating it and throwing it in a prenatal. I think for one, there's stability issues. So I really question how stable DHA can be without oxidizing when in a prenatal all on its own or even just in a supplement all on its own. So I really believe that it should be separate. We also don't know how DHA interacts with other vitamins and minerals when thrown in a capsule, right? So for those reasons, and because we don't have enough evidence on that, I really feel like it's wiser to take DHA in the context of a fish oil supplement Mm. separately. Yeah, Yeah. that that makes sense, especially when there's so much else needed in a prenatal. And actually, we're going to have someone on talking about the importance of prenatal DHA and its role in full-term pregnancies, Mm -hmm. um, because it's probably one of the easiest things we could do to bring pregnancies to term. And it's something that continues to decline is gestational period. And I know people don't want to have that bun in the oven forever, but I mean, it's like the longer it is in there to term, the better off everyone is. And so I've got a a researcher that deals specifically in that, that you may want to connect with as well, Ayla. So yeah, well, my 12 week olds uh, went to 42 weeks. So I know, I know she was, she was in there for for quite a while. Yeah, I totally know the feeling. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about minerals and also glycine. You talked earlier about calcium being sometimes important. You see it sometimes you don't. We also talked about iron. Let's talk about minerals. Let's step back and talk about minerals in general and how they are best absorbed because this is really a problem. Like people are constantly taking supplements and they're not really absorbing things because they're not getting the best forms of things Mm -hmm. all the time. And that's a huge issue with mineral absorption as well. So let's talk about the minerals in prenatals, iron, calcium, and types. Yeah. So when it comes to minerals, it is something that we need in higher amounts during pregnancy, pretty much across the board, we need more nutrients during pregnancy, right? And magnesium is one of them. But if we think about the forms of minerals really matter. Listeners may or may not have heard this term before, chelated minerals. They're among mineral supplements that are really better absorbed, similar to how we were talking about active forms of B vitamins and folate. Chelated minerals are easier for our body to utilize. So chelation is basically what that mineral is bound to. So in my prenatal, I for the most part chose to use, I used chelated minerals, I chose to bind to glycine. So you'll see things like magnesium glycinate. So that's a chelated form of magnesium, easier to absorb, but it also provides a little more glycine, which is a conditionally essential amino acid during pregnancy. So you don't need more of it generally outside of pregnancy, but during pregnancy, we our needs increase. So that's why and we can't make everything that we need or get everything we need just from diet. So we've got to get extra. So magnesium is a good mineral to highlight, you know, because magnesium deficiency is super, super common. It's somewhere around like half of Americans. And it's also something that can prevent a ton of really scary pregnancy complications at least contribute. A magnesium deficiency has been shown to increase the risk of preeclampsia and other vascular conditions. It also 
I think, as you know, and I see in practice, magnesium plays a pretty significant role in blood sugar management. So we see um, a relationship between a magnesium deficiency and developing gestational diabetes too. So really important to get in enough magnesium. This is another one like choline that's big. (laughs) So it's hard to fit. It's really hard to fit in a multivitamin. So it will drive if you've got appropriate amounts in there, it's going to drive up the number of capsules. And what do you think is appropriate in pregnancy? And by the way, do you hear pregnant women talk about Charlie horses kind of later on in pregnancy? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's another thing that magnesium can help with. I know for me, it, it helped a ton. Um, but yeah, Charlie horses, leg cramps, those kind of like, like just that kind of feeling in your legs like that, you know, messes with your sleep. It happens at night a lot. And you definitely don't need more things messing with your sleep during pregnancy. But magnesium and actually magnesium glycinate specifically can actually really help with sleep during or outside of pregnancy. But I think around the 300 milligram mark supplementally is a really good idea. It's so safe. You know, magnesium is a pretty safe, safe mineral to be supplementing with. And it's pretty hard to overdo it, (laughs) you know, with it because of how few people are getting in enough anyway um, in their diet. So I like to see women supplement with at least 300 milligrams, you know, during pregnancy. Some will need more. Okay. So I used to pay more attention to the calcium discussion in pregnancy and postpartum because I didn't have a cavity until after my second child. And for a while, the national recommendations were like, yep, pregnancy can be related to that. And then they were like, nope, not related. And I'm like, I think they are. (laughs) So anyway, not that my opinion matters, but what do you see for calcium ranges in prenatals and what do you think is appropriate? Yeah, you know, I think around the 400 milligram mark is appropriate and consistent with the evidence for um, supplementing prenatal wise. Most people are getting in enough calcium in their diet. Most people. However, you know, there's special dietary restrictions and you're seeing things like dairy, a major source of calcium being restricted in a lot of people's diets for a variety of reasons. So if someone's dairy free, I mean, that will increase their needs. It will make it more difficult for them to be getting in calcium. Otherwise, most people are getting enough from dietary sources. Believe it or not, I mean, that's one that I can say, but I'd like to see it in a nice, like balanced evidence-based amount in a prenatal. So around the, again, the 400 milligram mark. And because it is important for preventing pregnancy complications, it's similar to magnesium, helps with vascular health and, and has been shown to help prevent preeclampsia. It's needed in increasing amounts as the pregnancy goes on. So a little bit more in third trimester. And so getting in a bit supplementally is good, but you don't have to go overboard. And actually, I'd, I wouldn't recommend going overboard with calcium supplementation. It's iffy. You can really, it's one similar to iron, which we haven't touched on. It's really important not to overdo it with calcium supplementation because you can do more harm than good there. Right. It'll throw things out of balance with like bone yeah. and whatnot. So let's talk about yep. iron now. Yes. So iron is a big complication subject in it. There's actually what I have found is that there's not one set of diagnostic criteria actually that a lot of practitioners are using to identify iron deficiency, especially iron deficiency during pregnancy. And that this could be like maybe I'm going to be doing a webinar, one of those webinars for health professionals on iron at some point, and it might be like a good podcast topic all in itself because it's kind of a beast. But Iron is tricky because supplementally, you really don't want to take it unless you need it supplementally. Mm -hmm. It is always best to get iron from food. Mm -hmm. It's just, it causes a lot of probably more than any other nutrient. It's the most likely one to cause tolerance issues, you know, like stomach upset and just feeling kind of gross. 
It's also very difficult to absorb. It's difficult to absorb from food, you know, never mind just from supplements. So it's one that I really like to see in the context of food. And then if needed, and there are a lot of cases and a lot of pregnancies where extra iron is needed, it really needs to be dosed very individually and based on degree of deficiency. So I didn't include it in my prenatal because I don't think there's not one amount that we can say is safe and effective and a good idea for all pregnant women to take based on my look at the evidence. Because mm-hmm. what you're going to find is it's not going to be enough for a lot of women and then it's going to be too much for others. And it prevents from taking their prenatals because you just feel like crap, you know, yeah, when, you do, when you do take them. Just going to say that, like, it's probably best to avoid just for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, that's a great segue into this question. What about the women who just feel like they need a prenatal gummy because they're so sick? in the first trimester? Like, what advice do you have to those people? Yeah, I I hear that a lot for sure. So I mean, first of all, this is why I think it's so important to take a high quality prenatal prior to pregnancy for as long as possible, so that you're building up your nutrient stores to help you through that awful first trimester when things are uh, food's not as appealing, and it's really difficult to get supplements down. By the way, you know, if you go into pregnancy with good nutrient status, especially things like magnesium and some of your B vitamins, it'll actually help prevent or at least decrease how nauseous and sick and gross you feel (laughs) generally. Mm -hmm. Some of that's just hormone related and you can't get around it, but Mm -hmm. it does help. So, you know, what you want to do is kind of limit the amount of time that you are taking kind of a, a lower quality, something like a gummy. I mean, I think it can help sort of fill in the gaps, but a gummy will never have mm-hmm. what you're really needing throughout a pregnancy. And so you can get away with it absolutely for periods when you just cannot tolerate taking capsules. But the idea, the best plan is to stock up, load up your stores prior to pregnancy and then return back as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, with a lot of my clients, and this is something you have to decide on yourself as, you know, a practitioner perhaps, but with my prenatal, I sometimes just have them open up capsules and put it into a smoothie. And that's fine too. Right. Yep. I was thinking that same thing. So we covered a ton of stuff and a ton of nitty gritty and a ton of specifics. What we didn't cover, we talked about a lot of what should be in a prenatal. We didn't cover what should not be in a prenatal. Um, Mm -hmm. What are we trying to avoid in prenatals? And this is actually a problem in the supplement industry. And people don't necessarily, like we don't actually realize how much of an issue this is. Yes. So huge. It is um, now that I have manufactured a supplement. I mean, I can tell you, and the first partner I had in manufacturing the supplement and this product never made it to the market was terrible. And I know that they manufactured a lot of supplements. So I just got a real sense behind the scenes of what's going on out there. And it's a little scary. We know that One thing that has been shown through independent testing and research that can be prevalent in supplements, and there was a big Canadian study looking at prenatal supplements specifically, is heavy metals. And heavy metals are something you absolutely do not want to be consuming excessively during pregnancy, right? We need to keep that minimal. A lot of women are familiar with, you know, mercury, so I can touch on that and think there's so much being said about, well, don't eat too much fish, don't eat certain types of fish, you know, when really we should be looking looking at quality of prenatal supplements too, because that can be a real source of heavy metals, including mercury. Many of these things pass through the placenta right to baby. So they'll harm you, they harm baby, developmental problems, there's a lot of things that can arise from them. Probably. So 
Yeah, yeah. So it's a problem. And so the biggest way to avoid that is to make sure that there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, you want to make sure that your supplement has had thorough testing done on it. And there should be total transparency about that. You know, I believe not only testing done by the facility, but third party testing too. someone who's unbacked that supplement can be sent to an unbacked lab and tested as well. And you should be able to get those results. You know, so that's one thing. The actual supplement manufacturer really should be a GMP, a good manufacturing practices certified facility, an FDA certified facility. The manufacturer that I work with is... What would it say on the bottle for someone? Yeah, so you will see, you will generally see a badge. If a manufacturer is a GMP certified facility, then that's generally going to be on the supplement bottle because it's something that is not necessarily easy to achieve going through that process. There's a lot of regulation on that. And so if they're a GMP facility, then they're going to show it, you know, and just is a little sidebar. I mean, GMP, it's basically, it's a system for ensuring that products are consistently produced. They're controlled according to quality standards. So it's really, it's a quality measurement, a quality system. Mm-hmm. So, so that's important. You want to make sure that your prenatal has what it says it has in it. It doesn't have what it shouldn't, right? And it's been third party tested for both of those things. Mm -hmm. That's almost like a checklist. Plus, take it as soon as possible, at least three months before pregnancy, if possible. If you run into sickness, like take a break, open up the capsules, Mm -hmm. put it in something, take it as soon as you can. If I am recommending a prenatal and it's not yours, it's choline, a prenatal and a a DHA, EPA, a fish oil supplement. And if I'm recommending yours, if it's like if I'm able to get it, then I'm doing your prenatal and just an EPA, DHA because you've already got the choline. So that's kind of like my approach as far as nourishing pregnancy. I'm, I know that part of the reason you developed this was because you saw a big hole in a good quality prenatal. So your prenatal is available where and what's it called? So I developed this prenatal not because I wanted to be a supplement manufacturer. I really don't. It's actually, a, it's really difficult. <laughs> but I did it because I wanted to nourish my own pregnancy. I had been looking out there at all the different options available and really just didn't feel like, I feel like, they all take, even the professional lines, some type of shortcut or make some sort of compromise. So I wanted exactly what was evidence-based, you know, and just going for that perfect product. So my prenatal is called Full Circle Prenatal, and you can find it at fullcircleprenatal.com. And, you know, I produce them in small batches, third-party tested in a GMP and FDA certified facility in low California standards, even for heavy metals across the board. That's I make, you know, I'll, yep, I make all my test results available on demand. So total transparency about that. And yeah, so that's where you can find that. Okay. And I think she's going to have maybe a coupon code that we'll have in the show notes. So you can click on the little like, um, it should be right under the podcast episode, or there's a little like I uh, button where you can click and you'll be able to find that. And then also, if you loved listening to Ayla today, she is actually way back in episode 10 of the podcast talking about nourishing fertility and having a healthy, like healthy pregnancy outcomes and nutrition in that way. So you can go get more of Ayla there. Ayla, thanks for coming on today. Anything we forgot to include, we'll put in the show notes. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, just I think for listeners, my guess is if you're listening to this topic, you're either trying to conceive, you maybe have been struggling to conceive for a while or you know what the deal is with that, or you're already pregnant. So I think 
one thing that you know you should know is that no matter where you are, there's really no better time than now to improve your nutrition. You know, only we do the best we can with the knowledge that we have at any given time. So don't be hard on yourself if this is information that you're hearing for the first time and you were like many and thought that any prenatal would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Ayla and some of our colleagues are really pioneers in trying to improve the whole education for health professionals in this area. So thank you for your work in that. And thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Krista. Hey, me again. So I did get something done this week, which was I've got a page on the website where we try to include always the links that people mention in the podcast in the show notes, which you can scroll down and get to. But I thought moving forward, all of the current and future podcasts, if people mention that there's a discount code or a link, I'm going to try to populate that all on one page. So that's over at kristabigler.com forward slash shop. Try to make it easy. We'll continue to add and populate that. The prenatal's over there now. It's just sort of it it provides codes for different sites, etc. So feel free to check it out if you want. If not, you can always find things in the show notes. Hope that helps. Have a great day. Oh, wait. Actually, another thing is if you are not on the email list to receive the show notes to your inbox every week or other week or so, you can do that by going over to lessstresslife.com and you can click on the button that says subscribe to show notes and get those delivered so you don't miss a thing. Okay, that's it this time. Great. Have a good week. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 